0: Greetings, bibliophiles, to Five Author Questions, or 5AQ, presented by the Kalamazoo Public Library, the podcast that attempts to delve into the minds of writers using only five questions. Hello, my name is Kevin King, Head of Community Engagement.
1: And I'm Sandra Farragh, Head of Youth Services. So, yes,
0: this is our second baseball author,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: will probably have more baseball authors because that's my thing.
1: It is your thing. My jam.
0: And and then we talked about our favorite teams last time, and you said you are a Mets fan. I am, which makes sense because Queens. Yes. So my question now, and I'm, I'm a Tigers fan. Unfortunately, well, that's, stu- that's stupid. I know, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so, what is your favorite part about going to the ball game? Do you remember? <laughs>
1: When when my, my tiny human was tiny, my mm-hmm. favorite part was everything, every foul ball, every strike, everything was a home run. Nice. And essentially, are they winning yet? Are we winning? <laughs> everything was winning. And then getting older, now we heckle.
0: Oh, you ha- taught them young to heckle?
1: <laughs> oh, yes, yes.
0: Nice. Well, you are a New York fan too, so that's all New York fans do is heckle. (laughs) Yeah, we heckle.
1: There was supposed to be like a John Rocker battery day when there was that.
0: (laughs) John Rocker. We're going to the past We
1: are going to the past.
0: All right. Well, my favorite part, well, I've taken my tiny humans before. Yes. And they, um, I remember the first time it was like, I was determined to make it through three innings without getting up and walking around. And we did it. I was very proud of them. Look at you. I know. So we we have an Instagram account. It's at Questions. Of course, if you want to send us an email and tell us about your favorite baseball ballpark memory, it's podcasts at kpl.gov. And of course, like, share, and subscribe to 5AQ, or we'll send John Rocker to your home.
1: With batteries. With with
0: batteries. (laughs) I hope not. No. (laughs) (laughs) On to today's guest.
1: And today's guest. Luke Eplin's writing has appeared online at In the Atlantic, The New Yorker, GQ, Slate, Salon the daily beast and the paris review daily born and raised in rural illinois, illinois luke now lives in new york city
0: so talking about the book our team today in ne- july 1947 not even 3 months after jackie robinson debuted on the brooklyn dodgers snapping the color line that had segregated major league baseball larry doby would follow in his footsteps on the cleveland indians though doby as a sec- as the second black player in the majors would struggle during his first summer in cleveland his subsequent turnaround in 1948 from benchwarmer to superstar sparked one of the wildest and most meaningful seasons in baseball history. And I want to add, there's, it's not just about Dobie, this book. It's about Bill Veck, the owner of the time. It's about Satchel Paige and about Bob Feller. So we want to Are these sure. spoilers? No, <laughs> there's no spoilers. If you don't know who won the 48 World Series... You're uh, truly not a baseball fan.
1: Well, okay. I will just <laughs> turn in my card right now. And if
0: you, want, if you want to get a copy of this amazing book uh, titled Our Team, The Epic Story of Four Men and the World Series That Changed Baseball, you can go to AstoriaBookshop.com, www.AstoriaBookshop.com. We're going to put it in the show notes. And Luke will sign it to you, sign it for you, and probably like, I don't know, put some baseball dirt in it or something. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool.
1: Are you giving him more work to do? That's He's true. already written a book. He's already
0: written much, a book. Exactly. How
1: much more do you want him to do? I know.
0: Right. Welcome to five AQ Luke.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Definitely. So there's a lot. T- I, I almost locked the door to the studio so I could just talk baseball t- <laughs> with just you and I, but I guess we'll have Sandra here with it, us.
1: Except that I have the key. Yeah, you do. Have the key.
0: <laughs> so first question. So we have five questions and uh it's our show we can ask a follow-up and it doesn't count towards the five just want to get that uh, out (laughs) of the way here so question number one why do you think larry doby's story of breaking the color line in baseball is not as well known as jackie robinson's story oh boy that's
2: a that's a big one um I think that there are several small reasons and one larger reason. I mean, you can look at some of the smaller reasons. Uh, Larry Doby's breakthrough happened in Cleveland, whereas Jackie Robinson's happened in New York City, the media capital of the country. Um, Jackie Robinson was much more well-known than Larry Doby. Jackie Robinson was 28 whenever he broke through. He had been a college football star. Um, in California, sort of well known across the the country. So the country was already sort of primed to know who he was. Larry Doby had been in the Negro League, so he was well known among black baseball fans, but white baseball fans had never heard of him. Um, and they had very differing means of getting into the league. Uh, Jackie Robinson had 18 months between whenever his signing was announced and he actually made it into the Major League Baseball. And so there was a sort of big buildup of, of press attention and things like that. Mm-hmm. And everybody could get a chance to get acclimated to the idea of integration in the Brooklyn Dodgers organization. Larry Doby traveled literally overnight from the Negro Leagues to the Major Leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Veck was the owner of the time. Thought that it would be best to just sort of throw black players into the major league fire. And that's what he did with Doby. Doby went from playing in the Negro Leagues one day to playing on the Cleveland Indians wow. the next. It was a very different integration um, narrative and story and strategy and style than what was practiced in Brooklyn. And it's unfortunate that we don't remember it as much. And that is the sort of larger reason why it's not as remembered because history usually only remembers the first. The second has become a footnote. Um, So now whenever we talk about sort of integration in baseball, which we do every April 15th on Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball, the story of Jackie Robinson sort of doubles as the story Mm -hmm. for integration. And that is kind of unfortunate because it eclipses the other narratives that were happening at the same time and that were quite different. And Jackie Robinson's narrative,
0: yeah. And one of the things I I find very interesting too is, so Jackie broke the the, the color line in baseball overall, but he only just he only just broke it in the National League. Whereas Larry Doby broke it in the American League, and he went through the same stuff that Jackie Robinson did, but just in a different league. So it's still like it to me. It always feels like they were both first because they were first in their leagues.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that and that was at a time when the national and the American leagues were quite separate. Mm-hmm. They only played each other during the World Series and in exhibition games. And so you didn't see an early play back then. So it was like Dobie was the only black player within his sort of circle of peers that he was competing against. Mm-hmm. Um and Doby would say this himself that it wasn't like Robinson, I, it happened 11 weeks after Jackie Robinson mm-hmm. had broken the barrier. And so it wasn't like a lot of time had elapsed. And so he suffered the same sort of racial abuse, isolation, alienation that Robinson did. And in some ways, people have said that. Doby might have even kind of had it worse because Robinson had this tremendous media spotlight on him at all times, which in a way sort of like anything that happened to him was sort of spotlighted and dissected in the media. Whereas Doby, who had a sort of big surge at the beginning whenever he broke through, had a much lesser media spotlight. So a lot of his struggles and, and sort of tribulations went underreported. Yeah.
0: Didn't, and Jackie had um, other Black teammates later on in 47, right?
2: Jackie Robinson had a teammate named Dan Bankhead yes, who came okay. on the team in August 1947. So yeah, he 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 had a few months there where he was the only one. And then the next year Roy Campanella made it to the Dodgers in 1948. Yeah. Dobie went a year without another black right? teammate, and that was like one of his biggest struggles because he was not able to room with his white teammates in several hotels on the road. Even if he was rooming with his white teammates, he didn't bunk with anybody because there wasn't a social practice of a white player bunking with a black player. Mm-hmm. And so Dobie often only saw his teammates on the field. And then wow. at night he would just have this intense period of, of loneliness and isolation. Um, whereas his teammates were going out together and things like that. So he was really quite separate, um, from the team and he pined for another teammate that could mm-hmm. understand what he was going through. And he didn't get that until Satchel Page joined the team in 1948.
0: Wow. Thank you.
1: What masterpiece do you wish you had created and why?
2: Okay, so I think that I could give a generic answer to that (laughs) question and say something along the lines of, I don't know, The Great Gatsby or something, Mm. you know, or Mark Twain or something like that. But I'm going to go with the book that really inspired my own, and that is a, a more recent book by a writer named Mark Harris. He had just, he's just come out with a biography of Mike Nichols that is really worth checking out. Mm -hmm. But I was really inspired by his first book. It's a book called uh, Pictures at the Revolution. And what it does is it takes five Best Picture nominees from 1967 in the Oscar race. And Mm -hmm. he uses those five nominees to tell the story, not only of sort of how Hollywood was changing, but how the culture was rapidly changing in the 60s. So you had movies like the Graduate, Guess Who's mm-hmm. Coming to Dinner, In the Heat of the Night, and others. And so each of them is sort of touching on sort of youth culture, race, gender, all of these sorts of things that were rapidly changing at 1967. And the the strands of those movies all culminate in Oscar night. And so that was sort of the way that I thought about my own book. You had these four different individuals, mm-hmm. Feller, Paige, Beck, Doby, sort of leading somewhat similar but but like different lives and then they all sort of converge at the end in the 1948 world series so that really inspired my own and i think it's a masterpiece so i would have liked to have written mark harris's book
0: yeah that book's on my um it's been on my pile for a long time the <laughs> it's great pictures of the revolution so you've just given me impetus to
1: move it up the move list. it up
0: the list i, I think if I, if I was ever asked that question i might just say the graduate the movie personally <laughs> yeah. i mean that's such a masterpiece in itself all right, so one of the toughest questions we have on 5AQ. Yep. Uh, what is your go-to shower song?
2: Um so I work from home now as a lot mm-hmm. of people do in the pandemic and I have YouTube on a lot mm-hmm. and YouTube has been great because in addition to just kind of having whatever song you want at your fingertips, you get all these sort of great live songs mm-hmm. that you wouldn't normally be able to find on like Spotify or whatever. You can watch concerts and things like that. And something that I stumbled upon accidentally was Harry Styles singing a cover version mm-hmm. of Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. Wow. He did this last year, I think, <laughs> on the Howard Stern Show. And it is fantastic. I have, I had no sort of connection to Harry Styles. i never really listened to his music, <laughs> yeah. but he just nails it. And it made you sort of realize, or it made me realize how amazing Sledgehammer is and how weird it is. The lyrics are oh, weird. Yeah. The music is weird. It's got this funky bass beat, but it also has weird sort of pianos going on in it. And, um, and Harry Styles just totally nails it. And so I've just been singing Sledgehammer to myself for <laughs> weeks. So, yeah, yeah,
0: that. (laughs) Well, I'm going to look that one up.
1: Absolutely. And
0: and then another one I heard from a Howard Stern show was um, Miley Cyrus doing Tom Petty's uh, Wildflowers.
2: Yes. Miley Cyrus also did Hole's Doll Parts on the Howard Stern show on that same episode. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's awesome. Miley Cyrus does great covers.
0: She's actually. She's going to
1: do like a Metallica cover. Did you hear this? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, really?
0: I, 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 um. I'm going to say here ah. and it's going to go to everyone. I think she's kind of underrated as a musician. I think people don't see her as a, a true musician, but she's pretty, pretty darn good.
2: Just, uh, just look, just on YouTube, put Miley Cyrus covers uh-huh. in there and just, there's just hundreds mm-hmm. that she does and she just nails them. Maybe yeah. that's what she should do.
0: Just, you know, <laughs> just start a just Vegas. Act. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs>
1: Tell us about someone you admire in an area that really matters to you, and why. Uh,
2: so, when my when I was growing up, my uncle uh, had collected all of the Peanuts books by Charles Schultz mm-hmm. since the very beginning, and he had multiple copies of them. So, like the, the very first ones from like the fifties, mm-hmm. and he gave me an alternate set of them that he had, and I grew up just reading them over and over. So like these were the the peanut strips from like 1950 Mm -hmm. to maybe 1975 or so. And um, I think that they really affected how I think about art and how my own sort of writing. I mean, Charles Schultz, I think he was able to really convey complex human emotions as well as sort of loneliness and even something as deep as depression and stuff Mm -hmm. like that in those four panels and not make it sort of pretentious or anything like that. I mean, he just really taught me how to to convey complex emotions in sort of simple ways. And so my writing, I've always thought was, I tried to make it, I tried to sort of cut it down and just have it be simple. It doesn't need to be complex. You don't have to write these sort of complex sentences. You can really get to the heart of things by writing clearly and concisely. And I think that Charles Schultz really was responsible for how I thought about that
0: here, here raising up the genius of Charles Schultz (laughs) totally agree with you. That's amazing. When you go back and reread the, the older ones and even think about it in today's today's world, when you read them, it's just amazing.
2: So yeah, it's about failure, which I mean, a lot of, a lot of, um, children's entertainment is not about that anymore. Exactly. It's, it's often about overcoming and sort of, mm-hmm. you know, reaching impossible goals or something like that. I mean, the whole point of Peanuts is that you never reach those, com- those <laughs> you never even reach mundane goals. Yeah. It's sort of life is a series of setbacks. And that's, um, that's not exactly the sort of message we, we, we have anymore in like yeah. cartoons,
0: but it's honest.
2: It is. It's yeah.
0: totally honest. Mm-hmm. So question number five why do you think baseball is no longer considered it by many as the quote unquote national pastime? Why has its hold on America's psyche dramatically decreased?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of ways you could look at that question. Um, in the era that I wrote about the late 1940s, baseball was for, for both black and white soldiers returning from the war, something that they turned to, to feel normal again, to mm-hmm. sort of, forget about that sort of pain and hardship that they had gone through and, and, you know, baseball records that fell in the major league and in the Negro leagues in the late 1940s as, as people came back. And so it really was the national pastime as you, as you said, but at that time there weren't a lot of other competing leagues or athletes to really go into uh, football was just getting started. The national basketball association didn't exist. Um, And so you have an athlete like Larry Doby, for example, one of my main characters, he was an athlete in high school who could have gone any way. He could have played football, he could have played basketball, or he could have played baseball. And baseball was really the only one that you could think of having a professional career that would make you money. And so that is what he went into. If Doby had come along 30 years later, he probably would have went into basketball, which a lot of people said was his best sport. And so baseball was getting the best athletes at the time, which made the sort of game really having a sort of corner of the market there. Um, And I also think this is my book takes place right as television is coming into being. Baseball is a great game to watch in person and it's a great game to listen to on the radio. But it has not, I think been the most dynamic game to watch mm-hmm. on television, which is the medium that a lot of people now watch sports through. And so I think football and basketball are, are much more well-suited to, uh, the televised experience. And so subsequently people aren't growing up sort of listening to the radio as much anymore. And, and they're watching games on TV. They're going to be more attuned to football and basketball. Um, so, and, you know, I mean, a lot of athletes that would have gone into baseball decades ago are going into football and basketball. It's easier to get scholarships um, that has a better, it has a bigger cultural imprint. Um, and yeah, I mean just myriad reasons mm-hmm. why.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I wrote that question cause I was curious on your take <laughs> and your take similar to mine. I, I feel like that, that there there's been a, it's most to me, it's the athletes, you know, that you have that cultural impact. I'm glad you mentioned that at the end that, you know, I mean, just think of Michael Jordan. I mean, he wanted to be a baseball player, but he chose basketball. Um, so that's always been interesting to me. Um, but then yeah.
1: he attempted baseball. He attempted baseball.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he did. But yeah, I mean, if Jordan had grown up during Dobie's period, yeah, he would have gone into baseball.
0: Oh, definitely. I agree. Yeah. And I'm glad you pointed that out because that's one of the things that I found really interesting. with a, And I think that's why you had that height of such great baseball, you know, that post- um or actually pre and post world war 2 um, yeah. really but also best athletes
1: after 911 new mm-hmm. york baseball teams played for the same reason to bring back a little normal normalcy yeah
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and like, I, mean,
0: I, yeah
2: I think baseball is often turned to for things like that like mm-hmm. like 911 and i often thought that like it could be an interesting summer this year as people, yeah. now that the, the pandemic is sort of lifting a little bit, people mm-hmm. are are, are going to be able to go to baseball games again, and they could be turning to that as sort of like a symbol of normalcy yeah.
0: again, Yeah, uh,
2: going back to the stadium. So yeah, you do see that sort of recur through history. You
0: know, it was hard to watch baseball last year in the empty stadiums so. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> on TV. It made it a little less more fun on TV. Yeah, <laughs> so. I agree. All right. So that
1: was five questions that was, but now we'd like to know what are you working on now? Or what do you have upcoming next for you?
2: Um, so I am a huge baseball fan. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm actually a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals. Um,
0: but I don't know. Boo! I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. I'm a Tigers yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah. Well,
2: you guys beat us in the 68 world Dang. series and, th- um, and 45
0: and 35. Don't forget yeah. those two. <laughs> I,
2: uh, I, I don't know if I could find a better baseball story than this one. Mm -hmm. I I really think that like this, there was so many elements of excitement Mm -hmm. and so many sort of larger cultural things to touch on here that I am hesitant to take on another baseball subject. So I'm going to do, I guess what we had just talked about um, and shift toward basketball. Okay. Uh, And so um, maybe you'll be hearing more about that soon.
0: Oh, excited to hear about that. Yeah, I I hear you. And one of the things I, I, well, I love your book. It was great. And one of the things that I love about it is like when you read a book about a, uh, in the past about a baseball year and you're going, oh man, I, I hope they win the world series. And you're like, I could just look this up <laughs> <laughs> or I know who won the series in 48, but you still, you're the, the way you evoke the action and the excitement and the way the four people come together that it, there are times where I was like still excited about the games even though I know yeah. what's going to happen. So yeah,
2: I was excited while researching it. And yeah. I think that one of the one of the things that I was trying to do and I think to kind of get back to your first question there, mm-hmm. another reason why Larry Doby might not be as well known today is because the narrative of this season, the 1948 season mm-hmm. has been a little bit lost. It's yeah. faded over time. And that season has been it was not only super exciting mm-hmm. and just like full of twists and turns, but it was so meaningful, not only for Doby, but also for Satchel Page. Yes. Um, and when you lose that narrative, it's easy to just have those guys be footnotes mm-hmm. rather than this was as meaningful as 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 what happened the previous year with Jackie Robinson.
1: Yeah.
0: I had just read the Satchel Page biography, the the most recent one a couple of weeks ago before I started yours. So it was kind of nice to read to read both of them and I was Satchel Page is such an amazing character, people. (laughs) You need to (laughs) read all you can about that man. So I think he's
2: the most entrepreneurial athlete who's ever who's ever uh lived in this country. And that's
0: what you nailed in there too. I was like shaking my head when I read the part where you pointed out like he's the first he and fellow were like the first to say, I'm gonna make money off myself. Yeah. They they
2: use their narratives, their life stories, their images, their likeness to to sort of advance their own economic interests. And I mean that every athlete who's done that from Michael Jordan onward owes them a debt. Exactly.
0: Of totally agree. Well, thank you so much, Luke, for joining us. It's been five author questions mm-hmm. and uh, we really appreciate it. Looking forward to your next project.
1: Well, he broke it here first. Well, we
0: know it's base basketball. <laughs> yes. We just don't know what it's about. <laughs> it's lots of, and, and b- basketball history, I think is still a great gold mine to, to, to dig into. There's not as many basketball history books as baseball books, so.
2: Right.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Thank you. Luke. Thanks for listening to another episode of five author questions presented by the Kalamazoo public library. Be sure to subscribe. So you do not miss a single episode.
1: And finally, we leave you with a quote from Yogi Berra. I wish I had an answer to that because I'm tired of answering that question.